Three people awake today. Good. Good. Thank you for making Grace a part of your weekend. For those who don't know me, my name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis at the moment because on Wednesday, it was my last night of youth ministry. Uh, I am no longer our youth pastor after 14 years of being the youth pastor here. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Part of me is like, yes, no more high school girl drama, and part of me is really, really sad. (laughs) So um, starting today, actually, at the end of the service, um, our elders have instituted a new eight-week sabbatical policy. Uh, I get to be our guinea pig, and so I have eight weeks uh, of sabbatical. So you won't see me or my wife or my son around for uh, the remainder of the summer. On August 1st, I will be back, uh, and I'll be... uh, operating as our discipleship pastor. Uh, Pastor Dan has operated in our discipleship pastor role uh, for the past many years in a part-time capacity, um, and he's done such a great job of growing the ministry um, where our small groups have said, you know what, we need somebody full-time to continue to grow this and oversee it. And so for the past year and a half, Dan and I have been working side-by-side, making sure that we pass the baton and transition well. Uh, So Dan's going to stay on as an elder, but when I get back in August, I will be our discipleship pastor. It's kind of weird to think about that. So um, in some senses, if this morning's message is terrible, I'll be gone for eight weeks and uh, you guys will forget about it by the time I get back, right? Yeah? I don't think so. Okay. Um, Let's do this. We're going to dive into God's Word today. If you need a Bible, uh, you can join us on YouVersion online. You can Uh, stick your hand up in the air if you want a physical Bible, and our awesome ushers uh, will get one for you. This morning, we're going to be focusing in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13, um, and so we're going to dive in here. There's three words that I want us to look at first, okay? Uh, It's this, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Three words, okay, uh, that I want us to think about this morning. You've probably seen these three words. You've probably uh, seen them in many places in this order and maybe followed with a a phrase that the greatest of these is love. You guys familiar with this phrase? You know what I'm talking about? I'm curious, how many of you have those three words at least somewhere posted in your home? Anybody? Framed on your screensaver, on your computer? Yeah, maybe. Um, How many of you, does anybody know of somebody that has that as a tattoo? Faith, hope, and love? Yeah. Uh, My sister does. So um, faith, hope, and love. This week, I was seeing it everywhere. Yesterday, I was driving, and I saw on a bumper sticker, faith, hope, and love, right there on the car in front of me. Okay, now now what is this? Faith, hope, and love. Is this just like, it's a catchy, um, you know, three words. We like how it sounds. Maybe for some people, it's because, you know, we, we live in a world where it doesn't feel like there's much faith, hope, or certainly love. And so people hold on to these three things. I think that's valid. I think that's okay. But what does it really mean? Why get a tattoo that says faith, hope, and love? Why have that as a bumper sticker on your car? Why get it framed and put it on your wall? Why have it be wallpaper around the edge of your room? Why? Do we know what what this really means. This morning we're going to dive into scripture and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul intended when he wrote faith, hope, and love. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 
13. Maybe some of you didn't even know that those three words are from a, a Bible verse. And it's found here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he started, to a church that he began in a city called Corinth. Hence, he's writing to the Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Greatest of these is love. See, in order for us to understand these three words, or even where we're going with the message today, we first need to know and understand that Paul is writing this letter specifically to the church in Corinth that he started. There's great division that is going on. There is a lot of sin. The, the people, the, even the, the church in Corinth, a, a large city, and, and they're worshiping false idols. They're committing sexual idolatry all over the place. There's sexual immorality running rampant. The people, they're, they're dealing with their issues in terrible ways, not ways that God would intend, not ways according to his word, but they're, they're missing it. And really, Paul's saying, he's making the point that, that, look, church, if you don't get this figured out, your witness, your, your testimony is going to be greatly damaged because of it. That's what he's writing to, this, to these people about. And I think there's a parallel there. Because when we look at our world around and we think of faith, hope, and love and the need for that, there's selfishness, there's pride, there's great sinfulness, there's sexual immorality. There are, we deal with things all over the place that are very similar to what we see in Corinth. And so this message applies to us today as well. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. Maybe we like this because we think faith makes all things possible. Hope makes all things work. Love makes all things beautiful. And while that sounds really great and looks wonderful on a picture, go on Pinterest and you can find that probably. Actually, don't do that because you'll find all... <laughs> the reality is that there will be days... There will be days where you will lose your faith, where your hope will wander. There will be nights where, where you give up hope. And there will be times where you don't feel like loving. But look at what Paul wrote next. See, in, in, in our Bibles today, we have it broken up chapter and verse, right? Paul's writing a letter. When you guys write a letter, do you like mark it like chapter 1? Verse 1. No, we don't do that. Paul didn't do that either. In our Bibles, we use these as a reference so that we know the verse, the, the context, so that we understand where people are at. And so as Paul's writing this letter, he finishes this chapter, this thought, with now faith, hope, and love abide. These three things, but the greatest of these is love. The very next two words that he says is pursue love. Pursue love. If the greatest of these three things is love, he says, pursue love. Paul's point is that if all the Corinthians, if all the people in the city of Corinth saw that the Christians were no different from them, then why would they want to follow Jesus? If all the Christians are fighting and arguing with each other, the people of Corinth wouldn't understand the love of God. 
Let's do this. Let, let's, look, let's just do a quick study through the Bible of some verses, some applicational truth that might help us understand the concept of love. 1 John chapter 4. Turn with me there if you want. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 8, but right now only the second half of the verse. It says this, God is love. You ever had somebody ask you, hey, can you explain God to me? Now you can just say, God's love. It's as easy as that. That's who he is. That's his nature. That's his character. God is love. God is love. We, we can go all the way back. In fact, let's do that. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God is love. Understand that in the beginning God created, right? In Genesis 1 verse 27, we see that God created man and woman in his image, in his very own image. God is love, and in his image he created us. He, he created us in the image of love. In other words, we are created, we are specifically designed for love. That's why your heart longs to be loved, to be accepted, to be valued, to be, feel like you're worth something. That's why you, you desire to love others. We're created in the context of love. Let's go back to 1 John 4. Verse 19, later on in the same chapter, we see John in his writings say this, we love, verse 19, because he first loved us. It's this idea that we, we, can't even, we don't even have the power or the ability to love on our own apart from God. We only love because God is love. He created us, designed us to love, and we love because he first loved us. Now, what's another verse we might be able to look at for some applicational truth on God's love? Some of you have already thought it. John 3.16, right? Let's look at that one. John 3.16, it says this, for, for God so loved the world. Talking about God is love. <laughs> He's created us in the image of love. We can't love without having been first loved by him and yet, this verse teaches us that God so loved the world, everybody. That guy who cut you off yesterday, God loves him. <laughs> Your coworker who is intolerable and insufferable, not here at the church, I'm not talking like here, I'm saying you guys. <laughs> God loves them. God so loved the world. Love is not just a thing, it's an action. It's a verb, it's something that you do. And so God, in his great love, he gave. He gave what? He gave everything. He gave his son, his one and only son, that what? That, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life through Christ Jesus. Wow. God loves you and I and everyone in the world so much that he gave his son. Why? Why? Think about this. Our sin, the, the wrong stuff that we do, our selfishness, our pride, everything, God is so holy, so different, so set apart that we in our sinful state, we can't have anything to do with him even though he's created us to be in a relationship, a love relationship with him. 
And so God, in His goodness, in His love for us, He made a way to overcome our sin. The Bible says that that, that the wages, what we earn for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. He's given us a gift. And look, we've got to just stop here in, in the message and in these verses. If you don't get that, if you haven't received the gift that God offers you, the gift that God has, has given, then the rest of this message today is it's not going to apply to you. God loves you. He sent His Son to take the place, to pay the price that you and I deserved. That's incredible love. That's amazing love. That's relentless love like we've been talking about in this series. That's reckless love like that song we just sang. I was thinking about this a minute ago. In that song, Reckless Love, for those of us that have a right relationship with Jesus, that song is so comforting. It's, it's so encouraging that, that God would leave the 99 and come and find me, and he did. But for those of us that don't have that relationship with God, that song is haunting. Wait, he's going to chase me down and find me? He's going to kick walls down to get me? Have you ever thought about that? That song is crazy from a non-Christian perspective. And yet, it paints this beautiful picture of how much God loves us. We can't go any further without you understanding. If you're here today and, and that song is scary to you that God's chasing you down, He is. Because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. For those of us who have that relationship with God, we get it. We're like, man, life is so much better. Not easier, but better because of being in this love relationship with Christ. He lifts my head and looks at me and says, Eric, you're forgiven. You're clean. You're, you're righteous. He calls us righteous before him. But we've got to accept that gift. This morning, if that's you and you don't know God and you don't understand his love, at the end of the service, we're going to have some prayer warriors standing up here. Would you come and and, and talk to them? Would you you trust Jesus as your Savior? The Bible in Romans tells us that it's as simple as this. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. I want that so badly for each and every one of you for you to know and understand the love of God. Let's keep going in our verses here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. As we've been talking about, we know that God loves us. He is love. We're created in His image, in the image of love, that He loved us so much. He gave. He gave His only Son. Well, here, 1 John 4, verse 11 says, If God so loved us, then we ought to what? Love one another. See, here's a new concept. If God loves us, the emphatic is that he does, then we should, we ought to love one another. The very next verse, he says, if, verse 12, we love one another, then here, check this out, God abides in us. He lives and dwells inside of us. Those of us who have right relationship with him, God lives in us. He abides in us. He remains in us. And, this is so cool, his love is perfected in us. That gives me goosebumps. 
If I were to follow you around this past week and watch the way that you interacted with people, would I say, man, God's love is perfected in Dave? Or would it be, (laughs) uh, give me an hour. What would it look, what would that look like for God's love to be perfected in us if we love God? one another. Then let's go back to, to verse 8 where we started. The second half of that verse is the, that God is love. The first part of the verse is, says, if anyone doesn't love, then they don't know God. If anyone does not love, then they don't know God because God is love. Now I'm not talking about the 1960s kind of love. I'm talking about this way bigger concept that without God, there is no love. He is love. He created us in the image of love and for the purpose of love. He loves us more than we will ever grasp or understand. And it's the only reason that we can love because of Him. Because He gave greatly for us. To go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul, again, in this letter to the church in Corinth, talking specifically about the body, the body of Christ, the church. Now, Paul introduces this kind of weird concept that for those of us who have this love relationship with God, he he calls us the church. In fact, look at verse 12. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He introduces this idea of the body of Christ. Have you heard that phrase before? Maybe for some of you who are new to church, that's kind of weird. The body of Christ? Have you thought about like what body part you are in the body of Christ? What am I like? I'm like the eyebrow Am I the armpit? Don't think about that too hard, yeah. All right, here's, here, let's, let's switch. Here's a picture. You guys know what this is? Mr. Potato Head, yeah. Um, we, we've got some Mr. Potato Head parts here. You got feet, right? You ever thought, man, I wonder if I'm the feet. We've got a, a nose. This week when I was raiding the children's uh, classrooms and, and looking for, hoping that there was Mr. Potato Head, I found three right arms and one left arm. Maybe you're the third right arm. I don't know. That's the left. Okay. Check the thumbs. Here we go. All right. Um, what about this? We got, we got some, the mouth, and we got some ears, right? Maybe you're the ears. I, I couldn't find any eyes. The, the, the greenhouse children's ministry room had Mr. Potato Head, but there were no eyes. <laughs> I thought that was weird. There we go. We got some eyes. All right. Um, let's see. We, we've got flip-flops. Now, I'm a, a flip-flop kind of guy, so we're going to swap out his feet shoes with flip-flops. There you go. He's styling, right? He's doing good. Honestly, have you ever thought, like, What part of the body are you? This is a picture of what Paul is saying we are. Now, I would love to think that the body of Christ is a little more leaner and sleeker than Mr. Potato Head. 
but it's a picture, right? And maybe if you're, if you're the nose, you're like, there's stinky people around. The people who are wearing flip-flops, their feet stink, and you want to just get rid of them. But then what happens? You can't stand or go anywhere. And, and Mr. Potato Head or the body of Christ doesn't function properly. We all play a part. That's Paul's point here is that we all play a part. We all have a role to play. If you were to read the rest of this chapter, Paul explains that. But let's skip down to verse 27. We see this. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? He's emphatically saying no by asking these rhetorical questions. You can't all be prophets. You can't all be the third right arm. We all are created with a purpose, with a plan. It's part of the body of Christ. Now look, here's the thing. Paul's not just referencing Grace Community Church of Frederick, Maryland here. Paul's referencing everyone who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all part of God's family. We're all part of the body of Christ. And so what that means is that the Baptist church down the town, downtown, the Lutheran church across the street, all of the churches and the people that know Jesus, even the Catholics that know Jesus, they're a part of the body of Christ. Some of you are like, oh, really? You can go to Haiti. You can go to Canada. Wherever the, there are people who know Christ, you will find your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all part of one body with parts to play and roles within God's church. Look at verse 31, chapter 12. Paul goes on to say this. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he makes this statement. He says, but I will show you. I will show you still a more excellent way. It's not even about all of this. So don't get lost in like, am I the eyebrow? Some of you are still thinking about that. And you're like creeped out by it. Okay, go with me here. We're moving on. In order to fulfill the roles of the body, Paul says, I will show you still a more excellent way. And here it is. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it is affectionately known as the love passage. If you've ever gone to a wedding, I guarantee you've heard parts of this chapter read. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard parts of this passage read. Here, verse 1, Paul continuing his letter, right? He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a very noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm not fun to be around. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. 
You know that person that thinks they're smarter than everybody that's really hard to love? That's what he's talking about here. But if you don't love that person, you're nothing. He says, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. See, love is the primary vehicle in which God has intended the the church to function in, to operate within. So much so that then Paul goes on, and for the next couple of verses here, he paints a picture of what that looks like. He goes on in verse 4, he says, Love is, is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does, n- does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You see, this is the picture. This is what God wants. And we talked earlier about how God is love. You can, you can substitute the word love here with God to, to gain insight and understanding of what God is. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. And go through this passage and substitute love with God because God is love. And it holds up holds up as an example for us. See, in all your relationships, is this the picture that we see? Now, for many of you, you might say, yes, Pastor Eric, with me and my wife or with me and my husband, this is the picture. We love in these ways. See, we did marriage counseling and we were challenged with this passage of love and that's all well and good. Maybe some of you would even say, I love my kids in such a way that I don't keep record of wrong, that I, I love them this way. Maybe some of you say that about your parents. Surely not any teenagers, but like adult parents would say that about their parents, <laughs> that we love in this way. But do you love in this way, being patient and kind, not easily angered with everyone, with others, with other Christians? With the guy who cut you off yesterday, let it go. Do we love in this way? This is what the love one another should look like. If you understand God's love, then we ought to love one another. Do you know that that, that command, love one another, can be found over a hundred times in the New Testament? The command to love one another is found over a hundred times in the New Testament alone. And yet, we don't take that seriously. Think about this. Think about it. Uh, How many of you are parents? You have kids? Have you ever given your kids the command, go clean your room? What if your kids, when you tell them, go clean your room, they look at you and they smile, that sweet, beautiful grin, And their eyes sparkle, and they say, Mom, I love your command. I'm going to go memorize your command. And they, like, leave, and they don't come back for, like, three hours. And you're like, they better be cleaning their room, or I'm not going to be very loving in my response. And then they come back, like, three hours later, and you're like, 
Yes. And they're like, Mom, I love your command. I memorized it. Go clean your room. I even know it in the Greek. And, Mom, you're never going to believe this. I invited all my friends over to the house and we hung out in the room for the past two hours and we talked about what it would look like for me to clean my room. Aren't you so proud of me? See, don't we do this sometimes in church? We see a command, love one another. We memorize it. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's real good. Love one another. And then we, we go to a small group and we talk about it. Man, what would it look like if we loved one another this week? Oh, we would do this and we would do this and we would. And, but do we actually do it? <laughs> no, that's silly. We wouldn't do that. Why would we actually do that? It's just a principle. Right? See, I, I, I thought this week, I wrestled with this. Like, honestly, if we don't do this, we should just close our doors. We should cease to exist as a church. That's what Paul is literally telling the church in Corinth. Look, if you miss it, you're just a noisy, gonging symbol that nobody wants to be around. God's intention is for us to listen, to love his commands, yes, but primarily to obey. We have a, a vision statement here at Grace that we say we will reach the world for Jesus. Many of us, we actually believe that, that we will reach the world for Jesus by intentionally equipping and sending out disciple makers. But look, if we don't love, if we don't love people, if we don't love the church, the church, not just this church. Some of you love this church. You love our pastors. You love our staff. That's awesome. But don't then in the very next sentence bash the church that you came from that God used to even lead you to Christ or to help you grow and mature in your faith. Why would we do that? To love. To love the church. We will reach the world for Jesus, but it will be how we love, by our love. See, this week, as I was preparing, God put several questions that, that just kept haunting me, that kept coming to my mind. And they all started with the word, who? And it was miserable as I was trying to answer these questions for myself. So like any good pastor, I thought, well, then I'm going to give them to the congregation and let them wrestle with these too. Isn't that nice of me? <laughs> Here's the first one. Who do I love? Who do I love? Man, that was easy. I started like making a list. Bethany, my son Cohen, baby number two that's on the way. I haven't even met him or her yet, but I love them. Man, this, oh, Jesus. Got to put that down. I'm a pastor, Jesus. You, have you made a list like this? Who do you love? Who do you love? Next question, who do I love most? As I was making this list of the people that I love, family and friends, then I started thinking, well, who do I love most? Could I even put them in order? Ugh. That got hard. That didn't feel right. That didn't feel good. Then I thought, who do others say I love most? If you were to ask my wife who I love most, who would she say? 
Would she say her? Would she say God? <laughs> Who would my coworkers say I love most? Would they say I love myself the most because I'm a really selfish person? Who would people say you love most? Then that led me to another thought. Who would God say I love most? I don't like that one. I almost couldn't write it down because the thought hit me that for many of my days, God would look at me and say, Eric, you, you, you say that you love me, but it's no different than, than me telling you to go clean your room, and you haven't. That one was really hard. Who would God say I love the most, and why? Do my actions match that? Who should I love is the last question. Who should we love? Do you just love your neighbor that lets you use all the things in their garage that you even know the passcode to get into their garage? Those are the people that are really easy to love, right? Do you love your family because they continue to provide for you and let you live at home? Do, do you love, who, who do you love? Who should you love. When you go to the grocery store and there are those irritating people, when you go out in public, when there's that guy who cuts you off, do you love them? What does that look like to love them? And is it this passage that love is patient and kind? See, that's different. Faith and hope, man, that, that, that will help set us apart, but those are inward things. Faith and hope are, are, are things that, that we can display in making decisions internally, but love, that's outward. That's something we do. That's something we show. It's an action. Do you love people well the way that God intended? I want to end. I'll call up the praise team, and I want to end with this verse. It's the words of Jesus, and it's found in John chapter 13. Jesus is, is teaching his disciples and he, he tells them he's, he's just finished washing their feet. He's told them that he's preparing to leave. And, and in John 13, verse 34, Jesus says to them, he says, look, a new command, a new command I give you, that you are to love one another. Shocker, didn't see that coming. Love one another. Can't escape it. Jesus says, you are to love one another. Verse 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Priority command for the church is to love. How are you doing with loving people? It's really hard. I, I hope that this week we won't just go and, and talk about this, but that we'll actually do something about it. This last song that we're going to sing is one that this week, as Sharon and I were, were talking about, how do we wrap up this, this message this morning about love? And, and we're all for driving a point home really, really clearly. <laughs> and so this song was one that we couldn't get out of our heads, even though we maybe wanted to. 
But it's a song about that very passage, about that verse where Jesus explains to his disciples that they will know you are Christians by your love. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love. I hope, it's my prayer, that you would sing this song with us, that you'd let the words kind of sink in some picture of the body of Christ, the unity that we have through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And look, I said earlier, if you aren't there yet and you don't have that relationship with God, would you come talk to one of us that are up here in the front of the room? We would love nothing more than to pray with you and help you know for sure that you have that right relationship with Christ. Would you stand and sing with us?